Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza. Another week, another game for West Virginia. Unlikely, this is another loss. Welcoming in Chris Anderson to discuss the, I don't know, the opposition, the Towson Tigers, or probably most of our time to be spent today on West Virginia. What's gone wrong? What has to go right? This in in some ways sets up as a pretty ideal opponent, all things considered. I don't think anybody planned the schedule to be this way, but 0-2, first time in 43 years. That's also the last time that West Virginia was 0-3. No one's calling that shot, but you always need a get-right game, and that this one comes five days before a game at Virginia Tech, which is going to be mighty significant. Um, probably pretty good to see the Tigers in the schedule, I would think, if you're Neil Brown and Shane Lyon, and also everybody else with a helmet and shoulder pads. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, before the season started, or maybe during week one, you and I discussed when was the best time to play a team like Towson, uh, an FCS team, uh, a cupcake, if you will. And we talked about, yeah, maybe it's the season opener to warm yourself up, kind of like that better. What about week two? This is this year's so strange and different because you have a Big 12 game in week two um, that that immediately follows a rivalry game, and then your FCS opponents in week three. Uh, how does that help? Well, you know what? The answer is the best time to play an FCS team is all the time. Um, it, it, whenever you get to that week, that's the week that feels right because I think, uh, you know, West Virginia needs this right now. I know from, you know, the coaching perspective, from the fan perspective, from the analyst perspective, whatever, every other perspective there is, there's not going to be much to take from what you see on Saturday. You know, it, oh, they're better than who knows? Uh, but this is the right time, like you said, a get-right game. This is where guys can build, rebuild their confidence after a tough, tough start to the season. And, and Towson, um, if, if things go as expected on Saturday, um, will will be the punching bag for West Virginia because I, I imagine they're going to try to get everybody some reps and try to get real reps, not, hey, let's just run it a couple times and get this over with or – Let's play vanilla coverage. It's going to be, hey, we need to figure out who can play and who cannot, and we're going to try to get guys out there. Yeah, it does seem like very rarely does the schedule give you an opportunity to scrimmage, for lack of a better phrase, and try some things out because you need to or else. Coaches always talk about, man, it'd be great if we could scrimmage against an FCS team or or a Division II team, whatever, um, in August because that way you could kind of really play some football against someone else and you could also try some things workshops and things um <laughs> this kind of sets up to be that way they really shouldn't have much trouble it'll be competitive for a little bit i'm sure of that but eventually i think you're going to see the offense go up and down the field and the defense probably play with a bit more um, aggression never mind effectiveness it'll open up and you can kind of slip some people in but West Virginia needs to slip some people in, especially on defense. And you might see that during the normal course of action in this game, too, before it gets to it. You might see new corners or new safeties because you have this opportunity to do it. You're kind of playing with a net where you should be able to handle them pretty, pretty easily here without any type of um, concern, too. So it's perfect. You're right. It's it's anytime is a good time, but this one just seems like it shapes up better. And again, like if you can get off your feet in the third or fourth quarter here, that's a good sign because maybe this team can't do that yet. But also, 
to do that and then to preserve yourself a little bit for the game in Blacksburg on Thursday is going to be pretty beneficial too. Briefly on Towson. Uh, lost 54 to nothing in Morgantown in 2014. I believe William Crest emerged that game. Uh, I'm glad you, I, man, you beat me to it. That was going to be the first thing I brought up to. Yeah, that's how long ago these, these guys played them. And also, like, what can happen when you play Towson? But 2-0, second time in three years. So it's not like they're on some unprecedented run. They have a pretty good coach, pretty solid coaching staff. Um, lost a lot on offense and defense. Replenished with transfers. And then, <laughs> sorry, but I, I did watch some tape, some highlights and everything. They looked much better on offense in their second game. Their first game, a lot of that has to do with the new quarterback finding his receivers. 14-13 uh, overtime win. Bucknell missed an extra point uh, in overtime to lose in the first game. 29-21 in the <clears throat> the battle for greater Baltimore, Chris. Listen, riding high. Rivalry game, 2-0 coming to Morgantown. Listen, roll the dice, let it fly, see what happens. Yeah, I was, I'm uh, I'm in the midst of doing my three keys thing, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on with Towson because, as you mentioned, 14-13 Bucknell needed the extra point miss to win that one uh, in overtime. Morgan State in they is 29-21, but Morgan State had the ball nearing the red zone or maybe even in the red zone with less than three minutes to go in the fourth with a chance to you know touchdown and two point to tie it. So it wasn't. That, you know, any kind of blowout, I think uh, Towson hit a field goal in the fourth quarter to make it a, an eight-point game instead of a five-point game. And But then when you look at the team stats, just a side-by-side -side comparison of, of, of your standard team stats, yards and plays and average yards per play, Towson is, is I want to go so far as to say, dominating these teams, but clearly better than these teams in all of these categories, yet the games are close. And that's that's not a great sign for Towson. Um, but again, I'm sitting here trying to pick apart FCS early season matchups. Granted, it was what'd you call it? The greater the battle for greater Baltimore. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll have to shore up on that rivalry to, to really get a feel for it. But this is not a team that West Virginia should struggle with. But like most FCS teams, at least FCS teams that take their football seriously, you're going to see a handful of legitimate players like guys that a couple guys that slip through the cracks, you know, that doesn't happen as often nowadays because if they do slip through the recruiting cracks, they have a great season and they transfer. Um, but also a lot of guys that are bouncing back from power, power five programs, not just FBS programs, power five programs. You roll through their roster, Mike, it is Maryland, South Carolina, Indiana, um, well, I guess they, they technically give um, the, the quarterback Ole Miss as well because he spent a year there, although he didn't play. But you kind of roll down the list, and it's just Power 5 program, Power 5 program, uh, Group of 5 program, and so on, uh, of guys transferring down, even including a couple guys that had West Virginia offers at one time. So um, it's not that they're just completely not talented. They're just not as deep as, as F this is what FCS teams are. They're just not as deep usually as FBS teams, but they do have a handful of good players. Hey, you know who has to get a handle on the battle for greater Baltimore? Who's that? Morgan State lost five in a row in this series. That's not going to cut it. Uh, that's that's a fireable offense, maybe, I think. Let's let's, let's stay clear of that topic, okay? <laughs> um, the quarterback, Tyrell Pigrome, 
played in Maryland. I believe he played against West Virginia, got into a game when they had just like, I can't really narrow it down to the one time, but one of the times that Maryland had just massive quarterback issues and like water boys were playing. I think he got in once in one of those games, but no, I don't think, I think this was, there's like the only guy that didn't play. Oh, so he, I think, you know, he got there in 2016 and was a true freshman in 16. And I think the last time West Virginia and Maryland played was 15 mm. until last year. And then he transferred out in 20. Yeah. To go to Western Kentucky to replace. Well, not replace, but a year later compete with, <laughs> but yeah. so he's, he's been bouncing around, but he's been around for a while. Cause I'd figured this out a, a seventh year senior. Man, so Maryland, yeah. Western Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Towson. Right. So fre- freshman in 16, 17, I think that was the year that he he was the starter in the game against Texas for the season opener when Maryland upset Texas, mm-hmm. but got hurt in that game. So missed the rest of the year. That counted as a medical red shirt. And then 18, 19, 20 doesn't count because of COVID. 21, he transferred to Ole Miss, but never played. So he used a regular red shirt in 21. So this is his seventh year in college football. Man, not a lot of those. No. Uh, just talented, athletic kid. He makes some throws that you just probably don't see at that level very much. He can stretch it. Uh, I, I'll share this one highlight. There's there's a play against um, Morgan State where he, he's just rolling right and throws the ball in, in a spot where it has no business going and the guy has no business catching it. It's a touchdown pass. Uh, the receiver is Darian Street, who is former Pitt receiver mm-hmm. Devin Street's younger brother. Um, actually, he was at Pitt, too. So, again, another guy who at least had the talent to get on an FBS campus is at an FCS program. They have 11 FBS graduates on their roster. That's pretty good. Um, and, again, they had to do it. So, on offense, they lost seven starters, four offensive linemen, quarterback, running back, receiver, or, excuse me, tight end. And they kind of replenished with, with some organic stuff, but also some kind of mercenary tactics. And you see that on defense, too. Uh, cornerback safety, all, all FBS guys, so they have some speed in the back end. Um, listen, scheme, personnel, motion, pre-snap, whatever, it's it's there. It probably doesn't matter by and large, but they, they will have some talent. They'll be able to push and push back, but typical FCS, FBS thing, it should probably open up and get away. And if not, uh, don't miss the post-game podcast because it will be fiery, <laughs> I'm sure. So let's shift now, Chris, to West Virginia, and not necessarily like we always do with matchups that – there is an advantage or there is a weakness they have to guard. But let's just talk about holistically for them, a 2-0 team, oh, an 0-2 team that needs to be 1-2 but also has to get ready for a road trip and needs to be better sooner rather than later. This may shape up to be a pretty good opponent. Where do you begin when you look at um, areas where they have to grow but should be able to grow against the Tigers? Uh, first off, the offensive line, who I thought was okay, um, you know, both games, they have to be stellar on Saturday. This is one of those games where you should be so much better than the opponent that now this is about concentration and technique and and, and desire, honestly. And, and it anything that at any point, if Towson is getting pressure on the quarterback without like, you know, wild blitzes or something like that, then that's going to call into question uh, again, a, a desire on that offensive line or just flat out skill. And, and I hate to say that with an FCS opponent, but you shouldn't be having issues on that front. 
And again, I think the O-line has been okay. It needs to be better. And this is just one of those games where they should cruise. This They should cruise in this game. And that's not something you're going to often say about West Virginia's O-line right now. Uh, on the other side, it, 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 I mean, is there any other question but the secondary? I mean, I think, you know, the defensive line raised some eyebrows with how they played in the last game. But I am... Man, I don't even want to say just a secondary, like second and third level, because just just the comments that Neil Brown made. And this is something that I I mean, it, it's something that's been bothering me uh, for years. And I, I've been talking about it on postgame pods, pregame pods, everything of accountability, accountability, accountability. Stop just playing seniors like if they're not doing well, get them out, put somebody else in. And there doesn't seem to be that much of a change in personnel under Neil Brown over the last like three years. And again, you can go back and listen to the podcast. I've been talking about this for years. Um, He's saying it now. He's saying it out loud. Mm -hmm. Changes are being made and young guys are going to play. He obviously pointed out specifically, you know, Sean Martin on the defensive line would play more, maybe even start. Talked about the young guys in the secondary with spells and Mumu Ben-Wahad. And then even... Kind of just drop this one in here, which I think was is being overlooked. I don't think it's been talked about enough, but talked about changes at linebacker. Yeah. And the way he phrased it, I'm trying to go back to the quote now, the exact quote, because I don't wanna don't wanna screw it up, but it it was something along the lines of where is it? I think we need to look at some things from a linebacker standpoint comma, where we're playing people, and I think we will. Which reads to me, is Lee Koba the best bet for Mike, or maybe he should be a will? Should Lance Dixon be a Mike? Should Lee Koba be a bandit? Should, you know, you know those kind of things. Not, hey, we need to play somebody else completely that hasn't even been in the too deep, but more so, we might need to try some guys at different positions because it seems their skill sets might be better suited for other positions. So that is something I am extremely interested in for this game. Yeah, I'm mad at myself because there was a lot flying around the room there, and I caught that, and I never did anything with it at the press conference Tuesday. But not mentioned there, whether in, in your explanation or any of Neil Brown's words, Jared Bartlett, who's been okay but has come through the middle and played in the middle like so much this year as a bandit, well, one, is he healthy? Because he, he did leave the game Saturday, correct? Right. And then two, I don't know, could he could he move somewhere? He's like, are you flopping? Right? Yeah, are you flopping Bandit and Mike here? Like, I because I, I, I feel like Koba, again, for all his positives, he, he is out of position a lot. But he's so big and so fast that I think this is where people make those Tony Fields comparisons and get a little too carried away because no. Tony Fields was out of position a lot. But he was so good, so fast, um, so instinctive that he made up for it. Koba's not on that level. But if you're just so big and so fast, maybe you can move him over to Will or Bandit where your gaps aren't quite as important as they are on Mike. They're not, they're not, not important, but not quite as important as it would be if you were playing Mike. Yeah, that would be a quick cord cutting if they move Lee Koba. Because, and also, it would be one of the all-time you know, spring, summer, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, over-exaggeration, something like that, because remember... The greatest linebacker sliced, ever? Oh. It, there was there was like ham, and then there was like sliced bread. Yeah. 
for a while. And I get that, but like dudes flipping tires and talking trash and Josh Chandler, Samito transfers and everybody thinks that's all connected. And all of a sudden, if he's not able to play or start or stay in the field, that's, that's bad. Um, it would be, that would be surprising, but also, uh, extra low knows everything you're supposed to know in that defense. Could they use him more somewhere different? Could they put him in the middle? I don't think Dixon's played well enough to think about him as a Mike yet. No. Um, so like it's, that was a curious choice of words and, and, you know, we'll see what happens there too. The accountability thing is really interesting to me because we've talked about that before. They have in the past given older players a lot of rope um, because they know more and they can be trusted to behave properly on the field. But then all of a sudden you see something that doesn't happen and you wonder about, wait a minute, why can't you get that mistake? Or why can't you get that undesirable level of performance from a freshman, from a sophomore? If you're going to, you know, grow on the field with him, you might be better off. So, you see some of that conversation now at safety and cornerback and maybe linebacker too. If, for example, uh, Tyreek Austin Cave gets on the field more, and that that kind of stood out too because I, I really wondered whether it's Traylon Davis jumping or you know Malachi Ruffin. You almost kind of feel bad for, but like him being out there making mistakes. They've they've been not happy with some other players, older players too. You know, in the back end or up front even. Um, I thought kind of pretty stern description of Taj Austin's penalty and when I was writing something the other day I was like you know when you talk about accountability how do you overlook this penalty and then Brown was pretty harsh about that penalty call it selfish needless didn't have to do it cost the team a whole lot so yeah I think that's something you look for here because if you can't again if you can't do that against a team like Towson when are you going to do it so you know is Victor Wickstrom your third tight end that's small but there's some accountability to those penalties and drops for um Traylon Davis if um if you're worried about Taz Austin and making mistakes and costing your team the game, you, you send a message here by starting Sean Martin, who has probably earned to start or at least play a heck of a lot more with the way he's played. And you can have that conversation about mistakes across the back of the defense there too, um, from the linebacker spot to corner and safety too. So I think that's probably promising and you know, that gives you a reason to kind of pay attention to who's in the field and what they're doing Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that, that Austin thing was one of the other things that caught my eye. Uh, not because, hey, not because I've been saying since July that Sean Martin was a guy that that capital P people were talking about, and here he is. But that's the I'm trying to remember the last time Neil Brown came out and just laid into somebody about a play, not like publicly, you know. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying him calling out Austin for that is bad. I don't think I don't think that is. I mean, you get. I'm of a, of the belief, you know, you got to be tough on these guys uh, all times, not just when you're losing. But so him coming out and saying something is not a problem to me. But I'm trying to remember the last time that happened. And I'm wondering, you know, w- what triggers that this time around? The 0-2 start, lost Kansas, all, all the outside noise, as he put it. Or is this something that has just been so such a, a repeated problem, these, these dumb penalties, these, this dumb S, as uh, JT Daniels calls it? Um, and, and then finally Neil Brown was fed up with it, and, and this was his opportunity to kind of make a statement. And then, as you noted, Sean Martin starts on Saturday. That's a that's the second half of that statement right there, and and maybe it'll, um, I don't want to say instill fear in in the other players on the team, but kind of make it clear, like, hey, we're done screwing around. You know, you screw around now, you make mistakes, you make mental mistakes, selfish mistakes. That's it. The next guy up. Mm, boy, this is going to be interesting. 
he said that you can't sugarcoat these things. And I think maybe you wonder about that in the past. Had he had the staff done that, it's a different time. I get that. Things are much more urgent now. And again, 0-2 is 0-2. You can't sugarcoat it. But, you know, this is now like rip the band-aid off kind of stuff. And that's maybe that's what is prescribed for the situation. It's it's certainly tough talk. But will it be followed up on the game? Don't know. We'll see. If it's the same starting 11 and there's a mistakes that happen, we'll go. But just a lot of stuff so far has been kind of incongruent, too. I think about, for example, cornerback like Ruffin. I'm not sure Ruffin should have been out there. Probably shouldn't have stayed out there. But when you think about, by and large, they're going to base their, their playing time decisions on practice. And he must have had the best week of practice over Jacoby Spells and Mumu Bin Wahad and Andrew Wilson Lamp. All guys who we were told were, were going to compete for it, we're going to get there, and, and sooner than later with them. But it was going to happen. Ruffin has a bad game, plays every snap in the first half. But you think about why Bin Wahad got in after. McCormick got ejected against Pitt, and it's because, well, you know, he played at a competitive high school and been here longer. He's ready to go. That guy couldn't get in the field against Kansas in the first half. Yeah. So it doesn't even out. So now you hear these things, and maybe it's re- reflexive of an 0 2 start and people wanting to hear about changes. Will they actually follow through and do it? You know, how much of the explanation matches up with the execution? We'll see. Don't know. But that, that's a, a certainly a really good question to have. And again, if not, if not now in an 0 2 game against Towson, when? And, this is maybe when you start to see some changes. And, and again, I guess to your point, too, it probably does start up front. If you think about all the stuff they talked about before, the identity of their team was going to be their offense and therefore their offensive line. And it's been okay. It has been good. Um, they're going to see an FCS off- or defensive line that does have a ton of transfers on and older players. Not sure how problematic that should be. Um, Towson has given up about five yards of carry against, again, Bucknell and Morgan State. Maybe this is a game where they really do figure out a greater organization of Tony Mathis, C.J. Donaldson, and Justin Johnson. You know, hot hand sounds good, but got to heat one of them up. You got to figure out which one to heat up first, and that may be changing for them. Yeah, the running back the running back choice is going to be an interesting one. I don't know if you're going to get an answer against Towson, but uh, I'm with you. You're going to have to find an answer sooner or later and because I feel like you know Donaldson's one half of your running back attack. I'm not sure you can truly go three. Again, I mentioned how it just seemed... Too hard. uh, Yeah, because the way it worked last game was like the first half was like a 50-50 split between Mathis and Donaldson. And then the third quarter started Donaldson, and then all of a sudden it was a flip to Johnson, and Mathis was nowhere to be found. And then all of a sudden Mathis is getting snaps again in the fourth quarter after not getting snaps for the last, you know, of real time hour and a half. And it's like, well, now he's cold. And so, yeah, it's hard. Three is hard. You have to find two. And I feel confident in saying that Donaldson is one, obviously. Now it's a question of who's number two. They don't. Yeah, I guess that's. Yeah, they have. Do they have two is my thing now, because you have <laughs> yeah, one for sure. That's I, a very good point. Yeah, so we'll see. Again, if not Saturday, when? And this is a game that, you know, theoretically, Mathis should be able to get back to square shoulder running downhill. You know, he probably has picked his hole too much. You know, which, one I, which way am I going to go? Where's the crease? Oh, this one's over here. Maybe I can bounce outside and do it. Donaldson just sees and hits it. And I thought Johnson played pretty well for um, coming in cold in that, that second half. And that was the one guy I heard a lot of very good things about coming out of camp, apart from Donaldson, of course. But, like, 
just they were very calm and confident about Johnson, and maybe that was the beginning for him there too. Um, how big can Bryce Ford Wheaton be? How high can he go against them? Well, I feel like you could pick your number. Right. As I say, you, you could, but ideally, I think what's best for him, what's best for West Virginia, what's best for this offense is uh, seven for 90 with two touchdowns, and he's not playing the second half. Like that, That's ideal. I was just thinking, like, how many catches they want to get. They could be like, you know, we're going to get 12 catches today and get you out of there. They could do that probably because yeah. him him and Daniels are connected. You can tell. It's unfortunate for those two that that pick six went the wrong way, but that was also indicative of, the, of a feel they have. They may have to dress that up more. I mean, again, this might be a game where you see some stop-and-go routes, double moves, things like that, because the quick stuff is always going to be there. A lot of people know it, including Kansas cornerback Kobe Bryant. But work on stuff, put new things on film. And, you know, is this a game for – Cortez Bram, Jeremiah Aaron, um, maybe by extension, Caden Brather, too, where he finally breaks free and you're like, okay, that's the guy that everybody had thought was going to happen. Four um, Wheaton's kind of a man, this seems so weird to say about Bryce Four Wheaton, but it certainly is a compliment to him. But he just seems kind of known at this point because of the quarterback and and the the relationship those two have. Probably time to whip up some some complimentary pieces here, too. And However long Daniels is in there too, which leads me to this, Chris. This game mm-hmm. is, I don't know, 34-7 in the third quarter. Yeah. Kind of bringing it back up. How does it go? Yeah. You talking about the quarterback? You want me to you want me to put in a prediction for who's coming in as the second quarterback? I think I know the answer, but go ahead. I mean, we've seen Garrett Green get in but I can't help but notice. And what is it you always say, Mike? Don't don't pay attention to the the answers they give to questions, but rather the answers they give on their own or however you phrase it. Yeah, the, the pay attention coaches. between who's asked about and who's talked about. Right. They have mentioned Nico Marchio. <sighs> pay attention to that backup quarterback question from yesterday to Graham Harrell. It was a general backup quarterback. Hey, how are the quarterbacks behind Daniels developing, something of that nature. And then Harold spent two minutes talking about Nico. And depending on how you want to look at that, there's one of two ways in my mind that I'm looking at it, and I'm not sure which one it is. One, it's, oh, my God, we have to say something about nice about Nico to try to keep him around because, you know, he's third or fourth on the depth chart, and we have to – we can't have him transfer. He's the future of this program. Two, he's the number two quarterback already. And he's going to be the second guy out there on Saturday. I, I think it'll be green in this situation. Right. But I bet you that he gets like, if he goes down and scores right away. That's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, cool. That's what we thought you could do. Now let's see what Nico can do. Because it wasn't even, it wasn't even Harold. Like Brown says something himself about, oh, I was talking to Nico today about how much better he's getting and how good he's looked in practice. (laughs) You're like, well, uh, sir, I was asking about special teams (laughs) as I do. Right. But like, it just came out of nowhere a little bit. You're like, well, that was odd too. And then all all Harold said something too. So there must be something about him and his scout team action and his, what I don't know if it's Sunday, Sunday night football or Monday night football they do now, but like, there must be something there that, they're watching him grow and they're like, all right, we wanna we wanna get this guy ready for something soon. So that'll be that'll be worth watching as well. Um anything else about these matchups here, Chris? Whether it is Towson putting a little uh 
fearing you or West Virginia trying to get back on track on one position, one side of the ball? Uh, just one one thing real quick for me, and that's it. And it's this. You talk about a get-right game, and it could be a get-right game for everybody. If this isn't a get-right game for West Virginia's pass rush, there might be a little bit of concern because Towson starts a true freshman left tackle. Yeah, stop right there. <laughs> that is wild. A, a Yes, a true freshman left tackle who, I mean, picked Towson over like Central Connecticut State and Bryant College um, for his other choices. And not only that, didn't enroll early. So like we're talking a true freshman who just enrolled like two months ago, three months ago, starting at left tackle. And the right tackle, while a redshirt senior, has given up twice as many pressures as him. And thirdly, oh, they have a thirdly. A, yeah, there's a thirdly. There's a th- somehow there's a third tackle in this two tackle system okay. because Towson has a, a swing lineman, a swing lineman named Singh, S I N G H, who plays left tackle, right tackle, and a little bit of right guard, and he is tied with the right tackle for the most pressures allowed on the season so far. So you have two, a, a, a true freshman, and then two old guys that are somehow way worse so far as their edge protectors. So, again, if West Virginia can't get right on the pass rush in this game, there might be bigger concerns moving forward. Feels like a big contain game, too, because Pigrome is probably going to try to flee. I'm sure he's got his eyes all over the place trying to find big plays and also his receivers, but he has to know that pass rush is probably coming at him. I mean, that even be blisses. It may just be like organic. Three, maybe four birds and stuff, and time to run. So, yeah, watch out. Don't let him get 100 yards on you there, too. Yeah, the starting left tackle at an FCS level who's a true freshman who enrolled in July, that is, that is that, again, that's the old fluorescent arrow pointing at you kind of a thing. Like, that's one they're probably going to try to exploit there, too. Um, yeah. Hasn't been terrible, but, again, hasn't seen anything like he's going to see coming up there, too. Finally, Chris, I think finally, if it's okay with you. Yes. Are we being dopes here by just saying as often as many ways as we have that this should be easy for West Virginia. No. Okay. I, yeah, I mean I, I think I think the I guess it's the stigma of losing to Kansas or the stigma surrounding Kansas and a loss to them made this made people really kind of go off a cliff with what this team is and can be. Um, do I think they still have that potential to go seven and five, eight and four? I mean, you're already in hole zero and two. It's probably not. I think you got to get to that point if Neil Brown wants to keep his job. But this is a team that's talented enough to make a bowl game. This is a team that has good players on it. This is a team that, you know, regardless of what their record ends up being at the end of the year, could end up with a handful of NFL draft prospects on it. Mm -hmm. So it's there. It's just a matter of how they're going to respond to this 0-2 start. Because, you know, if you told me three weeks from now, uh, you know, this is Towson, Virginia Tech, and Texas, that West Virginia went 2-1, and I'd be like, yeah, that's probably what I thought. If you told me they went 1-2, and I'd be like, oof, that's – that's not great, but 
definitely possible. And if you told me they went three and zero, I'd say yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, Towson that should be a win. Tech, a tough one, but on the road and and things are looking up. And then you go to Texas and you got a backup quarterback and a team that you know might be limping a little bit. Feeling all right, and West Virginia's had some success in Austin, so I don't think it's that nuts. I think this team is be- again just the, the loss. Long story short, which I haven't been short, but the the way they lost to Kansas and just the heartbreak of the pit loss has people thinking this team sucks, and it doesn't suck. It is zero and two, and you are what your record says you are, but this team does not suck. So, um, I just want to close on this. Uh, Kansas probably got about 52,000 more fans on Saturday, whether they want to do it or not, because of who Kansas plays this Saturday. You know who the Jayhawks Oh, are? yes, I do know. Can uh, you imagine for a second, Chris Anderson, if Lance Leopold <laughs> follows up the game against West Virginia and Neil Brown, goes into the future Big 12 home of the Houston Cougars and just get smoked. <laughs> like if it's 31 3 Houston at the end. Yeah. Mushroom cloud. <laughs> kind yep. of reaction, I think. But I would think that a lot of people are pulling for Kansas who were rooting against them um, just a week earlier, too. But yeah, Kansas plays at Houston, four o'clock Saturday. Um, <laughs> I just think that the, there, there's a whole bunch of things like there's a couple outcomes in the season that are just wild to think about. But like if it turns out that Kansas is just exceptional in football this year and all of a sudden you're looking back and like West Virginia's eight and four or whatever. It's like, man, remember that time they got bludgeoned by Kansas's offense. Right. That yeah. turned out this team was a pretty good team. It got to the I don't know, whatever bowl and Kansas ended up winning eight games. Right. That That's kind of a funny thing to think about now. But also like in a more immediate sense, if they just go in and lay an egg against Houston and let's be honest. Success is new to Kansas. Handling success is very new to Kansas. And going on the road against a Houston team that just lost to Texas Tech, um, that's one Big 12 team that Houston just lost to. Here comes another one. I I would think that the Cougars are probably trying their hardest to win this one here. And it's not, air quotes my office here, just Kansas coming to town. Um, Kansas owns the win over Dana Holgerson, too. Don't forget that. So, the immediate and long-term outcomes that involve Kansas are just kind of amusing for me to think about. I don't disagree. I, I don't know how I didn't notice this before the game or before the season started, that it, that it was a back-to-back matchup like that. But as I was uh, perusing through for the charity bets this week, I saw that and was like, whew, oh, man. And I thought the same thing as you. Houston wins that by three, four touchdowns. That's somehow going to like reverberate back into Morgantown and cause even more problems. Yeah. And, and Houston's defense, Houston's offense hasn't probably lived up to the, the billing so far, but their defense has been not the issue. Um, have you seen the over under for Kansas Houston or the, the point spread? Uh, was it Houston by like a touchdown or eight, something like that? Eight and a half. Uh, no, I think it was 10 and a half. Wasn't it? Oh, was it 10 and a half? Yeah, I'm looking okay. at ten and a half right now. So not a whole lot better than last week. <laughs> Kansas West, five and zero against the spread in the last five games, though. West Virginia and Houston even in Vegas' eyes. Is that what you're telling me, Mike? That's all for today. <laughs> Compact episode here. Uh, unusual opponent, we know that, but the regular week coming up, we'll have Chris's three key matchups. We'll have my fresh set. This is the preview podcast, so um, 
a lot going on outside, but we're going to keep everything on the field as well. Actually, we're not going to keep everything on the field, but we're not going to forget that the focus is the stuff on the field. But uh, yeah, a lot of stuff going on outside too. Whispers, rumors, something, nothing. We'll see. Um, got a pretty good idea where you can find the best information, but that's just me. Uh, I mean, I was about to say, I was like, you, you've already seen some places try to put up hot boards and all this stuff. Please, 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 please. Keep in mind, you know, we talked about how this hasn't happened before. It did kind of, sort of, after the Holgerson thing. And for those who were around all those five years ago, four years ago, four years ago, it lasted a week, maybe two, because I think it was a few days leading up to, because, you know, Dana was Dana and his agent were kind of holding out until January 1st for obvious reasons. But lasted 10 to 12, 12, 10 to 12 days. And every single piece of information that was posted at Air Sports was correct. It was on time. Um, you did not see us put up 18,000 different hot boards and change it every other day with different names. Had it all. One place. Accurate. You know, just keep that in mind as you're looking around for information this time. What was the coach that people were like, why don't you have an assistant coach hot board? And we're like, that's because they're going to hire a blank. And like yeah. a day later they did. I can't remember what assistant coach it was. I can't on either. The, on the I, staff, was it Jeff Coons? It might have been. And I remember, was it the, because the Jordan, uh, Jordan Leslie one was, we, we were on. I think that was a funny story that maybe one day tell. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It was, it, yeah, I think people were pushing for this assistant i mean we had an assistant coach hot board and i think like the first edition i don't know there was another hot board that was out there that had 246 names on it and then claimed at the end that they got like six of them right so good job um every name that interviewed was on this board <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah but i don't know yeah listen and if you can't if you can't get accurate information on things like i don't know the buyout Consider the source. That's all. Don't forget, the buyout does not crater. It does not fall off a cliff on January 1st. It's prorated. It's The buyout is lower today than it was yesterday. The same will be true tomorrow and the day after, too. Um, you have a couple of years before there's a one day to the next major drop-off, and, and the situation, one way or the other, will be resolved way before then, I think. Cool. I believe that wraps it up today, Chris. That does wrap it up. Hit the website, refresh, anticipate all the content coming your way. Tune in 1 p.m. Saturday, 1 p.m., right? Yep. West Virginia, Towson. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.